Welcome to Ascending Olympus, Edge of the Crowd's Olympics and Paralympics podcast, uh, coming to you live this time from the three of us who are together for the first time <laughs> in person. Uh, my name is Michelle. I will be the host this week because I chose to sit, sit in the middle. <laughs> and with me are Jackie and Jason. So how are you all this evening? I'm good. Um, we've had a big day at the tennis <laughs> and have decided to film a podcast really late at night, which is always a genius idea so bear with us <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't really know what's going to happen tonight how the night will progress how i'll progress tonight <laughs> um but let's do this uh we're going to start by talking about how the aussies have done this week it's been quite eventful obviously in the lead up to olympics and the final kind of decisions for the olympic team were made in various events so jackie do you want to take us through those yeah so we'll start with the bobsleigh because that seems to be the one we start with most weeks um so there's two things to talk about with that. First off, Ash Werner did not compete because she tested positive for COVID-19. So unfortunately, she could not pick up any additional points to help her rankings, but she didn't actually lose any points either and stayed in her rankings of 17th and 21st in the monobob and two women respectively. But uh, Brie Walker did not have the weekend she would have hoped for. She ended up finishing in eighth in the monobob, which completely messed up her rankings as far as the world standings are concerned. And it was the last weekend of World Cups for this season. She ends up fifth overall in the world standings. But, like, to her credit, like, she was second for most of the season. And it was, like, second was on 1,006 points. And then fifth was on 1,002 points or something like that. So it was so narrow that, like, because she didn't have a good enough ranking to boost herself in points, as a result, she was never going to be able to stay in second and I mean an Aussie sitting in second in a world cup rankings in a sliding sport is pretty mental yeah I mean it was good by Ash to have not lost any of her place um, after contracting COVID and after the continuation of those races and um, with her competitors so it was really good by her to keep that position be able to keep that position despite not racing but Brie um, you know we mentioned how minimal the gap was between her and um you know that second place and um sort of that falling out but you know she's proved that she can get up there so that's really good to sort of take away from it even if she has slidden down it's always such a shame when these things happen at the end of your season obviously you've got all this momentum build up if it happens at the beginning you, even if the result ends up being the same you feel less bad about it but you have all this hope there with you I well guess. you can change things at the start of the season yeah. <laughs> like at the end it's like I, I could not have done anything differently <laughs> It's just circumstance, but Brie was also in the two women and again, didn't have a great result. It's definitely not her specialty. She's far better in the monobob. Uh, she ended up finishing 15th overall. I think she ended up 26th or 27th for the season in the two women bobsleigh. Um, so as a result, it has cost Australia the second bobsleigh spot because there was just massive shifts after this weekend. Like it wasn't just we lost our second spot. Like countries that look were looking like they weren't even going to get a spot, got a spot. Switzerland now has two spots when it was looking like <laughs> it was going to be Austria or Romania. Like it's just gone chaotic. And I think it's because there was confusion around the selection criteria and IBSF made it really clear after this week. But other sliding sport news, and we're going to skip one of them until we get to a different section of tonight's episode. <laughs> um, Alex Falazzo was in the luge again in Oberhof in Germany. Um, 
it wasn't the best competition. He definitely performed better last week when he got that 24th place finish. But he finished 31st, uh, 1.9 seconds behind gold medalist Johannes Ludwig, who was at not necessarily his home event, but considering it's in Germany and he's German, it's definitely an advantage. <laughs> um, and like, as a result, I believe Palazzo does have an Olympic spot, but it's so like, so many tiny little details and like people could drop out or people could not get selected and that can affect whether Australia does have sports or not as well. Uh, but we might move on to the free ski slope style event because Abby Harrigan had a crazy good week, uh, finished 13th overall, had 49.48 points, which doesn't sound that impressive in the grand scheme of things, but like one mistake can make the best in the world have like 20 points. So it is a pretty good score. And then it's, she's in a weird position with this Olympic qualifying as well, because she is the next to qualify as far as quotas are concerned. And the USA and Canada across their free skiing events have 39 in Canada's case and 34 in the United States case. And they ha can have a max of 32. So they both have to give up spots across all of their men's and women's free ski events. So that includes moguls. It includes ski cross, um, there's like six different events for each gender as well. And as a result, Abby is actually super likely to pick up a spot because it's looking like currently Canada doesn't have as many athletes that are eligible as there are quota spots. And if she's next, then <laughs> let's hope that she's actually going to be able to go to the Olympics because that'll be massive when it was looking like hope was lost. Yeah, um, you know, finding out that some of the countries need to sort of cull a few of their qualifying spots to make room for others, um, you know, is really, you know, sad and disappointing for those countries, but it gives others a chance and hopefully it gives um, Paragon a chance as well. I'm personally really curious to see where Canada gives up those spots because seven is a lot across all those events. Um, and yes, that still gives you the opportunity for podium sweeps and whatnot if there's a realistic chance, but also like it's seven spots and not like, because they've just max qualified in nearly everything. Yeah, kind of that comes around, I guess, when you have one or two kind of very high performing kind of athletes in a discipline who can get extra spots that you end up not needing because oftentimes there might be a gap between your top top and then everyone else. So kind of understandable that that will happen for a lot of the major countries. Uh, super kind of ideal then for countries where which were kind of much smaller therefore to kind of pick up those spots that do get dropped it's often probably the way it works um because it's hard to rely on individual athletes to have performed consistently across the season in order to keep and earn that spot themselves all the time yeah it's definitely an interesting equalizer across federations as far as the olympics are concerned um also it's heartbreaking for canadian athletes <laughs> Uh, but we might move on to the ski cross, which Sammy Kennedy Sim was there, Doug Crawford was there, and Alfred Wenk was there. And they were in Canada. My understanding is they're now in Sweden, like in the span of a few days <laughs> to get in prep for training. And according to Sammy, it was a um, crazy flight pass. <laughs> like it was Canada to the UK to Norway to Sweden or something ridiculous. <laughs> But she had a pretty good event. Uh, it was a double header. There was a, actually quite a few double headers across a couple of sports this weekend. Um, she finished 22nd in her first event, but in her second event, made it all the way up into the top 20 and finished in 14th, which I believe is a quarter final finish in the ski cross. Um, 
it might be one back. It might just be round of 16 finish. Uh, and then Crawford and Wenk didn't do as well. Crawford got a 48th on the first day and 45th on the second. Wenk got 51st on the first day and 54th on the second, which is a little bit disappointing. They don't actually have any option for qualifying. Um, but Sammy is basically in for the Olympics. She just hasn't been officially selected yet. It's super kind of nerve-wracking I guess when that's the situation where you're in where kind of logically and rationally speaking you know that you've done enough to get that Olympic spot it just hasn't been announced yet and kind of hopefully in the coming days he she is kind of assuaged of that and everything is kind of fine and she gets to have her kind of moment of kind of it sinking in for sure. Yeah and I think with like a double header weekend you know there's just that added extra sort of pressure um, especially if you might not do well in the first instance and then to sort of back it up or perform a bit better in the second instance too um and we saw that with sammy getting the, the 14th place um and hopefully that does qualify her for the olympics and to be selected yeah and then we have greta small who also does have an olympic spot currently i believe uh, she's already a dual olympian so it'll be awesome that if she can get to her third olympics uh, she was in Austria this weekend and in the downhill event, she finished 41st with a time of 1 minute 49.71, uh, which is 3.93 seconds back, which to think that there is three seconds between 40 plus competitors or more like four seconds between 40 plus competitors is crazy. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, and she was also supposed to be in the Super G event, but she was listed as a DNF and I personally tried to like watch the stream and like find like the spot when she was supposed to start and see like, was it a DNF or a DNS? The stream cut out like with four, four skiers left to go. And I was just like, oh, she was the last to ski. <laughs> like, I can't even find it. So unfortunately, I'm not entirely sure if it was a DNF because of um, a crash or something like that, or if she just didn't start in the first place. Moving on to kind of the medals, obviously a lot of events, a lot of medals this week. The big story of this week is that uh, Tess Cody has won uh, her first medal uh, in the snowboard slope style. Uh, in Lax, Switzerland, uh, which is also the uh, highest score in the final of any competition in the women's and men's fields. Yeah, so it wasn't the highest score if you include qualifying, but the qualifying was held like two days beforehand. Um, and then she ended up with a whopping 86.18 as her score. And when I say like it was a massive win, it was like 11 points ahead of the nearest female competitor and I think the top men's score was like barely touching 80. Um, so to think that she did that she also had already won the event before she had this 86 run um, which we saw that in the Summer Olympics in the skateboarding with Keegan Palmer when he'd already had like the gold medal was thrown up and then he pulled out a trick like no one had ever seen before and she kind of did that because she did a frontside 1080 in that run with the 86 score, <laughs> which I think that she hasn't competed it before, but people have seen it before. And it is just a massive trick and worth a lot of points. Yeah, I think like once, you know, you know that sort of a medal is sewn up, you know, there's no sort of pressure to go again. Um, but obviously she did. And I think it's just like another sort of way um, or another sort of instance where you can maybe experiment with another trick, um, maybe execute another trick and just also sort of knowing yourself that you can perform it. Um, obviously try and get a better score than you can 
um, with this, even if the medal is sewn up, but just to sort of prove to yourself that, you know, you can do this, um, maybe she'll use it at um, different competitions now, maybe in the Olympics, but it just like puts her on the radar a bit more that, you know, this is a trick that she can do now um, and others will, and I think others will sort of be expecting it now, to be honest. So hopefully she can properly execute it like she did on the weekend. But now that people know that that's sort of in her repertoire, um, they'll be looking out for it and her other competitors will be trying to play catch up as well. In the winter sports, obviously kind of they are, uh, they are kind of a little bit less kind of attended to than the summer sports. Most people kind of the most eyeballs with that they will get on their sport is in the run up to a winter Olympics. So it is really the perfect time to pull out a cool funky new trick that looks visually cool that people who may not know that much about your sport like snowboarding uh, can really kind of just see and be like oh wow that's super cool maybe I'll kind of remember you and keep you in mind when the Olympics do come around and pay a bit more attention to the sport and that's how you really get new fans yeah and I mean someone that would know about getting new fans is Scotty James um he was our flag bearer in 2018 so that helps a little bit <laughs> um but he was back for his first world cup competition of this season like just full stop which I was shocked by uh he finished first in qualifying in the men's half pipe um but then as a result in the actual final event, did not have his best day out, scored a 38.75 on his first uh, run and then scored like an 11.00 on his second. So he finished 11th overall and it's a final of 12 competitors. But someone that's been brought up before is Valentino Goosley. He's only 16. He's beaten Sean White this season. No big deal. He uh, finished fifth overall, um, uh, had two very consistent runs, got an 80.5 and then an 80 flat across the two runs. His second run, which was the 80 flat, um, not a lot of snowboarders were clean in that run. And he ended up the, I think it was the second best score or the third best score of that run um, out of anyone. So whilst it's not like in the case of the moguls where it's like you have your second run and that's the only run that stands, um, it is best up and unfortunately because of the difference in rules it's like oh it's a fifth rather than a bronze medal but to be doing that well at 16 is incredible and hopefully he is off to the olympics i think we have two spots and it's like if we only have one it's valentino who had a really good season and has done incredible or Scotty, who's a defending medalist, and I don't want to be on the selection committee, and I cannot remember for the life of me how many spots we actually have in this event. Hoping it's two, at least. That, that's a really tough choice if it is just one, because, you know, in a way you want to have the informed person in Valentino and, um, you know, obviously finishing fifth um, and quite young as well. So, you know, the next sort of um, person to take the sport forward in Australia. And on the other hand, you have... Um, you know, Scotty James, who has been to the Olympics before as a flag bearer, as we said before. And, you know, I think we've got to take into account that this was his first um, contest of the, of the year. You know, to come back um, for his first time this year in a competition and finish first in qualifying. And, you know, no matter if he did, you know, fall out, but, you know, to come back and, you know, your first sort of run to be a first um, proves that he still is up there. He's still one of the best and yeah, he deserves to go as well. So hopefully we do get to his spot. As far as another competitor is concerned, we talked about Laura Peel briefly last week and 
the day that this pod comes out, which is Thursdays, and we normally record on Tuesdays, Laura Peel was in Deer Valley, USA, uh, competing in the aerials and winning in the aerials. So she did like a, I think it was a quad twisting triple back last week, which is, we had it wrong. It's four twists and three flips, okay. which is still ridiculous. <laughs> I thought it was three twists and four flips. She ended up winning a competition last week with a huge jump, which is not the quad twist, triple back. It was a triple twist, triple back, or also known as a full, full, full back. Um, scored a massive 118.05. I uh, got 27.5 points from her air form and landing scores. And then they combined, like it's a multiplier to her difficulty score which shows how difficult that trick is as well. And her fellow competitor, also Aussie, Danielle Scott, who has also won a World Cup gold medal this season, also attempted the back full, full, full and had a shaky landing, ended up in fourth overall. But these two have like sat neck and neck with each other all season. And while they are not currently gold on the like world standings overall for the season, they're clearly pushing each other and they're clearly loving the competition. And they are now both actually medal favorites. They're not necessarily the gold favorite, but we could double Aussie podium at Beijing, which who would think that at a Winter Olympics? It's always good to kind of have a competitor who, um, or a main rival in the country that you're from in kind of competition, especially when it comes to national events, it pushes you, but then that also means that internationally, you do have kind of some kind of a fire under you in order to kind of prove to the world that, you know, you are the better one or that you both are kind of amazing and do deserve these spots. (laughs) So it's always kind of a really kind of fun dynamic especially in sports that can often be quite solitary just because of the nature of kind of you know the way that you have to compete them um having kind of remembering in the back of your mind that there are kind of others around you like that is also probably a really good mentality to have yeah I definitely agree with that I think that um to have two people from the same country sort of just sort of competing against each other but sort of for the same reasons as well where they both want to represent their country at the Olympics and they both want to um, medal for Australia I think that having that primary sort of competition between the two just really um, you know sort of says that they both want to sort of beat each other but also sort of prove to each other that they can continue to get better um, and just yeah keep on pushing each other to get better Um, And that might be from, you know, beating each other in certain events just to begin with, um, which will hopefully get them into better positions to win with their international, uh, against their international competitors. Yeah. And I mean, if there's someone that did well against international competitors, it's Jackie Narricott. Um, So she was also in St. Moritz, which is where the bobsled was this weekend. And to say she did well would be an understatement. She made history as far as her own personal history by personal best. She was made Australian sliding history, not just skeleton history, by being the first Aussie to win a gold medal at a World Cup in any sliding event. So that includes bobsleigh, luge and skeleton. I just like, I found out about it like on Twitter and was just like, I need to watch this. I need to see it. Like, this is amazing. Cause her best, like the best she's ever done was last week when she got 11th. So she went from 11th to first. And this competition was also like a European championships for a lot of um, riders as well. 
And the fact that she ended up with a 108.72 after two runs um, and was 0.17 seconds ahead of the world number one, uh, Kimberly Boss, who I've got to say, Kim Boss is clearly a class act because she was probably celebrating harder in like the actual like viewing room when Narakot won than anybody else. Uh, Narakot's reaction was just like, did I win? And he's <laughs> like, yeah. But then you've had um, Boss actually like jumping up and down and like cheering for her because it is a big deal. And the commentators were super hyped about it as well. And yes, it's not something we ever see. <laughs> like, let's be real. But to do that right before an Olympics um, when no one ever sees that coming, like, and maybe people will be like, well, it's the last World Cup. Like some people will put off, put the brakes on a little bit or they're more focused about that or they've missed this competition because of COVID concerns. At the same time, a gold medal is a gold medal and a gold medal at a World Cup is worth so much. Yeah, I mean, a gold medal is a gold medal, no matter sort of circumstances, you still earn it. And certainly um, Jackie Narricott did. And I think just to sort of lay claim to be the first person um, to win a gold in a sliding event, um, you know, for Australia is just a is an accolade on its own. So hopefully, you know, she sort of just says that, you know, yes, I've got this gold medal, I've earned it. You know, I've made the sort of, move I was 11th I'm now first um hopefully yeah this just sort of says to her or she can sort of say to herself that you know she can um be on the podium she can get a gold medal she's done this for her country now um and yeah just sort of take that momentum and knowing that she can do this and that she is the first person to do it um, hopefully to take that into the Olympics and just sort of continue that and sort of ride this wave of momentum and just sort of this acknowledgement that she is the first and, um, you know, she's going to have so many more eyes on her now as well, um, you know, sort of no pressure, but, um, you know, obviously this just proves that she can handle the pressure. Yeah, that possibility and kind of the, the, the uh, having a moment where you've proven yourself that it is true, that you can be the world number one, that you have done that. And it's not just something that you think that you can do or you should be able to do mm. is quite powerful, I think. And um, going into the Olympics, that hopefully is a positive force in kind of her um, kind of current preparations uh, in time for that. Yeah. And like we've seen shock Olympic medals plenty of times the most recent is probably Anna Kaysenhofer in the road cycling event where just no one no one thought it was possible that she could win um the fact that Jackie's now just won this event um means that it is possible for her to win I don't know the track lengths like as far as how comparable they are Beijing track is very long and if this same Maritz track was a longer track compared to some of the ones earlier in the season maybe that's actually going to benefit her and maybe it's not realistically a podium chance but a top 10 at the Olympics is pretty incredible regardless. <laughs> but might move on to my favourite of the Aussie events that were last weekend because it wasn't figure skating that Aussies were competing at. But uh, it is the Moguls, which I do love to talk about. That was another double header. Um, and I don't think it would actually surprise anyone that listens to this podcast regularly that Jakari Anthony did really well <laughs> because... She uh, will start with the first event. Um, she won bronze. And in the first run of finals where they cut down from, I think it was at this event specifically, 16 to 6 rather than 20 to 6, uh, she had the highest score of the competition 
total. So similar to Tess Cody, men or women, <laughs> like just highest score. Um, absolutely unbelievable. It proves that if she can get that best run in the actual second run, it is a very likely Olympic chance. She's um, third in the world rankings currently as well. But that's like, it's like, depending on where the three of the top three finish, like that will change completely, like immediately. It's crazy how close this World Cup is in the moguls. But we also had Cooper Woods, uh, who had his personal best of his career. And he's been getting better and better. I would say that there's someone that profited off the Matt Graham injury. It's Cooper Woods because he's been doing really well while Matt's been out. Uh, he qualified in 12th, uh, ended up finishing in fifth overall, which means he reached the super final. Um, first time he's ever reached a super final. His best previously, I think, was seventh, which was last week. Um, so the fact that he's done that, his run wasn't as clean as, say, the winner, which was Michael Kingsbury, who scored an 83.28. He got a 76.10, but... At some competitions, the 76, it might not be enough to win, but it is enough to podium. And then there was a second event, which was also a Deer Valley, obviously, because it was the very next day. Jakara got silver. Um, she stayed in third in the world rankings because the one and two swap. But it was Brody Summers' turn in the men's event to do really well. Um, he also reached his first ever super final. Um, so I'd say that, like, while Smack Graham being horrible shock, like... I'm glad that he's better and he has gone back to uh, Finland to train with the team ahead of the Olympics. But also at the same time, I'm like, they're doing well without Matt. <laughs> like the boys are okay. <laughs> it's not like, oh no, are we going to lose Olympic sports because Matt Graham's like missing for a few weeks? Nope, they're fine. They're actually doing better than ever <laughs> because yes, Brady made the super final. Uh, he did end up sixth and didn't have his best run in the super final but the top men in the moguls at the moment are just incredible um and they're also really close like michael kingsbury is doing fantastic and he didn't win this event japan's ikuma hiroshima is the one that won he got an 84.04 and kingsbury still got an 82.84 like it's just crazy close at the top for a lot of these mogul skiers and Hopefully Matt's back and fit because he was our medalist in Pyeongchang. Yeah, we hope that Matt's back fit and, you know, ready to compete again and at that top level after his little uh, bingle, as we've sort of <laughs> called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's really good to see that people in his place have sort of stepped up and are continuing to um, place better and be better every time that they race. So... Yeah, it's really positive signs. Hopefully it's even inspiring to Kim to see kind of how everyone has stepped up their game and encourage him to also try his best to step up his, um, despite the bingle. <laughs> yeah, this Mogul's team seems pretty tight-knit, so I'm sure he's, like, incredibly happy for everyone's success. Um, and also, like, the men, I think there's, like, there's four Aussie men and there's four spots, so they're all going, whereas the women, there is five potential, like, uh, eligible athletes and there's only four spots so uh whilst i think jakara brit and even sophie ash's spots are safe i think those last two spots this like last week or so of training could actually be pretty influential as far as qualifying is concerned i know that world rankings do matter a lot but if someone's not looking as fit 
um, or hasn't been at competitions for a few weeks, it might help the other case. Great. So moving on, we've had a couple of kind of new uh, announcements from kind of Beijing about the Winter Olympics um, in the past week. So we're going to briefly talk about them. The first one is that uh, Beijing uh, officials announced that uh, protesting Winter Olympic athletes are going to be subject to punishment of some kind. Um, very vague as a sentence in general, um, and intentionally so, I would say, because obviously there are already rules in place um, by the Olympic Committee about the extent that athletes can protest on podiums and that kind of thing. So it's hard to say how much further these uh, punishments that the Beijing officials want to give out can stretch um, in relation to those. They're warning against any behaviour or speech that is against the Olympic spirit. So there are pretty clear rules as far as um, what athletes, how athletes are and aren't allowed to protest. And primarily that is just don't protest on the podium. Like don't do it. Don't bother. (laughs) It's not worth it. And um, so I do understand it. I also think though that this is the similar to what we were saying last week with the phones for the and the computers for the Netherlands athletes. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, those punishments are going to be you can't compete in China. Um, They're not going to be Brian Lofty getting arrested in Brazil for behaving like a twit um, at a petrol station. I think if I remember the incident well enough, it's that. It was six years ago. (laughs) But um, I don't think it is the biggest deal. I think that it's more like banned from China or if you're a medal winner and you protest on the podium I think it's pretty unlikely you'll get stripped of your medals but there is the chance that it happens or there's fines as well yeah there's always a chance of you know any sort of punishment and as we said they sort of kept it vague in terms of like what that punishment might be and um you know sometimes you don't want to sort of protest and um at any sort of stage where it could limit you know sort of your earnings whether that is you know prize money or a medal um but yeah you still want to sort of have that right to protest but you've just got to sort of decide when that might be um and not sort of make it on such a big sort of grand scale in terms of um sort of the fanfare of what a medal ceremony should be but you know sort of you know, I think, yeah, it's all right to sort of protest. So another update that we got from Beijing is the fact that they have announced that officially that they will not be selling tickets to the public to the events at the Olympics. Instead, what they have announced that they're doing is that they're going to be in- inviting certain groups to attend various events. Um, and those individuals will be kind of within that bubble and will have to go through kind of quarantining and checks and tests and everything as per usual. Probably this makes it easy to track, um, but this does mean that uh, from a spectator perspective, uh, the Olympics will look a little bit different. I think it's interesting. Um, it, like, it's an interesting concept of being like, it's going to be invitation only. And I think that a lot of people just immediately go, then it'll be uh, Chinese Communist Party party members, as well as like famous people and that sort of thing and business owners even potentially. But I think that it does lend for the opportunity to allow workers in, um, in the sense of companies getting essentially invited and being like, send your workforce because we've actually seen with this olympics because of the attempt to reduce smog 
that uh, factories have had to close down for intermittent periods. And that could actually be a good way to almost sow good goodwill into like those communities, especially the people that have had to halt their work essentially to be like, yes, we understand, but because you're not working currently, because we're trying to do this, um, come watch um, Lingu win a gold medal in the women's half pipe for China, like that sort of thing. Um, I think it's actually a clever idea and it means that there is the actual opportunity to have spectators. And I also a little bit hope that it's similar to what Japan did with the Paralympics, that they invite school kids Mm -hmm. and get school kids to see, and especially with the Paralympics, which are a month later for the Winter Games, um, if it is still going to be that invitation-only process, that school children are invited because it allows kids to, like, admire Paralympians, but also, like, it allows kids that do have disabilities to have an ambition for something um, and not be made to feel one type of way or another because of the assumptions that society puts on people with disabilities. Yeah, I don't I don't mind the invitation-only concept that they are running in Beijing. Um, yeah, I don't mind it because I think that, you know, as we said, they can invite, you know, corporate people, um, but not just, you know, corporate people either or the people that sort of put in the big bucks or who are the big name sort of stars of the world and celebrities, but, you know, sort of can invite school kids, can invite workers who haven't received any work lately in Beijing or in China, um, even just invite, you know, sort of groups that are from sort of the sport as well, um, you know, sort of, Um, whether that's like a local club or anything like that or you know a couple of young sort of inspiring um, or aspiring athletes in that particular sport and discipline um, just to sort of witness that um, you know sort of away from being just a casual observer or a spectator I think that that will sort of really go a long way and you know hopefully that's what they do um, to get a crowd there because yeah you don't want to see sort of empty stadium hopefully yeah they can invite a few people there and Um, create a bit of a noise and sort of have a bit of a reward in a way I guess as well for sort of what a lot of people have gone through in the past couple of years and sort of um, have that reward that they can sort of come and um, be a witness to some greatness at the Olympics. What this might also mean though is that there is a bit of bit more of a focus on kind of education and kind of teaching people about these sports and their history because it's very different obviously having a whole bunch of people who have bought tickets willingly who are most likely fans of that sport coming to your event and the kind of things that they already know and the kind of things that they would be interested in learning about a sport or an event Mm -hmm. versus people who may not know anything about that sport or may not be interested in sport as much in general and the way that you try to present these sports and kind of everything that's involved in them to that group of people could actually be really useful to a wider public outside of China who may also be watching Winter Olympic sports, whether that's from a quarantine, a lockdown because they're bored or because, you know, someone's kind of encouraged them to take a look um, to also kind of find out some more about how these sports work. I'd also say, like, I prefer an invitation-based system than a lottery system. I'm not the biggest fan of lotteries. Um, Mm partially because it's gambling, but also just in a sense of, I don't like the randomization. I like the idea of knowing that you're going to get to go to an event like a week beforehand rather than, and being able to prepare and rather than finding out like two days beforehand that you're able to go 
and then scrambling <laughs> and that sort of thing. So I think that it is um, better for anyone, whether they are famous, a part of the party or um, just a regular worker in China to be able to get to organize around it a little bit better. Yeah, it also would feel really nice and sort of be appreciative um, of receiving an invitation, you know, sort of personally that, you know, the organizers of this games or um, people within the sport uh, specifically sort of want you there, um, sort of have reason to want you there. And, you know, it is just a bit better than sort of entering a lottery and having that sort of um, that luck that hopefully you do get into the event. So, yeah, I think I, I like that more sort of personalised approach. And we might move on to more sports-based news and we're back to the bobsleigh, but we're not talking about the Australians this time at least. Um, we're talking about the men's bobsleigh as well um, because Jamaica has qualified a four-man bobsleigh team for the first time since 1998. Um, so they missed a couple of Olympics. They were in 2018 in a completely different sport. But the fact that they're back in the four-man bobsleigh, which is their original sport for their debut, is crazy. I At least in Australia, at least, I think Cool Runnings is a very, like, familiar movie. Yes. <laughs> like, a lot of us saw it growing up, especially around our ages. But the fact that like we're getting to see a bobsleigh team again, I remember getting first told about it. I like remember when I think they had a two women bobsleigh team or something a few years ago as well and being like, it's like it's happening again. But this is like, it's like it's happening again. <laughs> um, it's very exciting to see. And it's like shows the work of a very successful season rather than just luck because Four-man bobsleigh has been very competitive. The Germans have dominated all year long. Um, and so it's taken small results rather than big victories to just get into the Olympics, which isn't the easiest thing to do for anyone. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the last time Jamaica qualified in the bobsled 1998, you know, we were quite young. And so we only sort of had, um, you know, going back to cool runnings, we only sort of had that movie growing up in sort of, understanding just how special that sort of moment was that um, Jamaica you know had a bobsled sled team and that it was possible um, and sort of yeah just having that movie to go off but now that all these years later um, when we are much older as well we're seeing it become a reality again and it's just a bit more you know we're able to a bit more like sort of connect the dots and connect like you know the significance of the move to now as well and um yeah i mean credit to them they've worked hard to get here as well and qualify again and hopefully they'll have that success um this time around yeah and like spoilers for people that listen to goals on film or if you're interested in listening to our sports movies podcast we are going to do cool <laughs> runnings in the next couple of weeks it's not next monday uh, we're doing Itonia, <laughs> but we will end up doing that because that's a movie with a lot of Aussies grew up with, and I'm sure a lot of people in other countries also grew up with it as well. But we want to talk about it, and especially now that Jamaica does have a four bobs, four yeah. man bobsled team, makes sense. Yeah, um, it would be great to tell people, like, you know what, the Jamaicans are back in the bobsled, <laughs> like, you know, the Jamaican bobsledders 
they're here <laughs> watch it <laughs> because it's just like it's just like a phrase now almost like yeah. separate from the movie where like when you it doesn't feel out of place even though rationally and logically speaking it's not the first thing that should come to mind when you think bobsled so that kind of cultural impact is also definitely gonna hopefully help but we might go to what is effectively a weekly uh, segment on ascending Olympus at this point. That's just what's happening in figure skating. <laughs> um, Michelle, you covered the European Championships for Edge of the Crowd this week. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, kind of. It was an interesting event, especially uh, in relation to how we think uh, Olympic team selections will go um, for teams that have not announced them. Uh, officially yet uh, to no one's surprise uh, the gold was definitely a Russian sweep. They won everything. They won everything. <laughs> There's no better way to put it. Um, they won nine of the 12 uh, go- uh, medals in total at this event so very successful show. Uh, so running through the events we'll start with the men. Uh, definitely the most kind of interesting um, and eventful of the four disciplines um <laughs> most varied five nations on the podium as well which is also in character for the men who are famously inconsistent uh, <laughs> the the ordinals um sometimes make sense and are often flip-flopped um hardly ever do you see someone win both their segments and then win overall or that or any of the placements yeah especially something like fourth 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 like you can get a fourth fourth seventh and you can also get like a fourth fourth second it's men's skating it's nuts yeah and it's because of that inconsistency um which is why uh the skaters who did end up winning this event were the ones that had the cleanest and most consistent skates throughout the two programs so in first place we had a russian national champion mark kondratyuk um who uh got second in the short program and first in the free skate. Well, I'd also say that like, when we say second in the short program, there was less than a point separating the, like the top three, but you might want to move on to the free skating results because they were very influential. Yeah. So uh, in second place, we had Daniel Grassel from Italy. And that was because of a standout kind of free skate performance. He did the most difficult tech content in this competition. And most importantly, he landed it. (laughs) Um, He was the only man in this competition to attempt a quad loop and a quad flip both of which he landed and he was only one of two to attempt a quad lutz and the only man to land that quad lutz in competition so the points that he would have gotten from those jumps would have definitely given him such an edge in this competition there was also latvian denis vasiliev's who is coached by the great former silver medalist from 2006 stefan lambiel who won his first ever bronze medal at a European Championships um, or at any major ISU competition because the Grand Prix events are actually considered to be slightly separate. Aside from like the fact that his spins are gorgeous, he landed a quad Salkow cleanly for like the first time in his career or maybe the second time. It was the first time in a major competition, um, which it shows that there's a lot right in uh, the Champerie camp, which is where... Stefan and Dennis are both at people that do follow would say that like he deserves it based on different aspects of his skating rather than just the technical components but he still 
has been working on this quad jump and is ultimately important even though you don't necessarily need quads to do well in skating um to have one in your arsenal because you can go from being a potential top 10 to now being in a potential top five maybe in the olympics depending on results and importantly he only did the quad cell it was his only quad in throughout in the competition that he did he's not one of these guys who like is adding a new quad to an existing quad arsenal uh he's basically got no quads and now he has one quad and there is like one point difference between him and daniel grassel in the free skate uh but we might move on to the ladies which this is the one that big shocker russian sweep um even bigger shocker camilla valieva won camilla valieva breaking yet another world record i think her ninth for the season this time, the second time she's broken the short program world record, incredible. <laughs> like, um, I can't believe the scores they're giving because I believe her score of a 90.45 is so close to like her max possible score for a free skate. Her max score is something like a 94 or a 98, something like that. It's around that mark. She cannot score over 100 with the way the ladies are scored currently. Um, that You just sit there and you're like, Okay, so are they going to give a perfect score at the Olympics? The, the program's good, don't get me wrong. Yeah, basically, um, if he if she skates basically better than she did here, they're going to have to score her higher, which is going to mean a new world record. <laughs> <laughs> Logically speaking, that's how it goes, right? We'll stay with the short program for a moment because there was a surprise in the short program in the sense of it wasn't a Russian sweep. Uh, Leona Hendricks from Belgium, Sorry, Leona Hendricks from Belgium actually was second in the short program. She has no triple axle. Um, so she just did a double axle, I think a triple axle, triple toe and a triple flip in her program uh, and ended up beating Alexandra Trusova who fell on a triple axle and Anna Shabakova who didn't have a combo in her program um, to sit in second with a 76 point something something. That's incredible. She's beaten Shabakova in the short program twice this season now. Um, which I think is a huge boost for confidence. And we talk about it like it's the Russians and the Japanese in ladies a lot. But I think Leona being this like weird little metal threat um, in the sense of if she can pull out two incredibly clean programs, yes, she's going to need to rely on other people performing poorly, but come worlds that could actually be incredibly valuable with how she's been going this year. And the world's after the Olympics is always the strangest world championships. <laughs> yeah, you see some surprise champions. Often you see kind of people who you thought would have won a world's medal by now win their first one. And it is just kind of who goes and who doesn't go is always going to be a little bit of a mixed bag and a surprise, which does mean that in events that are sometimes a bit too predictable, like the women's event in the past few years where we've just expected the Russian sweep from the same few Russians, it gets much more exciting. We're going to move a little bit down this podium. Um, second place ended up being Anna Shabakova. That's just because she had a much better free skate than she had short program. Um, minor errors in the free skate um, that helped kind of patch up the difference from the major error in the short program. And then in third place, we had Alexandra Trusova, who had uh, two falls in the uh, free skate, as well as a strange kind of combo deduction situation. But 
she is a case where her tech content score is just so high because she's attempting all these quads that even with these deductions, her base value score helped patch that difference there in order for her to still make that podium. To uh, Alexandra Trusova's credit, like there will be no one at the Olympics aside from probably Nathan Chen attempting as difficult a content in that free skate. Um, the short program is different because the women have more limitations upon them. Um, they're not allowed to perform quads in the short program. But if they could, Trisova would be performing too. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But we might move on to the pairs, which yet again was a Russian sweep. Um, I think the big surprise in this was while Machina and Galimov have been the top Russian pair this year and realistically the top pair because they have had higher scores than the Chinese team Sway and Han, um, I did not see them breaking three world records at European Championships. So they got an 82.36 in the short program, 157.46 in the free skate for a combined score of 239.82. And it's been a long time since we've seen in pairs, aside from like when they first changed the judging system after 2018, that three world records have been broken all in the one. Definitely a surprise um, to us all because while we do know that Michelin and Galiamov are very good skaters and they have been able to deliver um, when it counts at Worlds, at their nationals, um, against their biggest rivals who um, finished behind them on the podium this time and at nationals as well, Evgenia Tarasova and Vladimir Morozov, as well as Alexandra Boykova and Dmitry Kozlovsky. So um, probably having kind of knowledge and an awareness of what their competition is doing because Boykova and Kozlovsky are their training mates helps with that. Um, but once again, it's a situation of them knowing that if they go clean with the programs that they have, then the judges will be kind of treating us, uh, scoring them favorably and wanting to give them high scores. It was surprising as far as the way that this podium turned out because Machine and Galimov getting gold did make sense. But I think that at least my interpretation was that Boykova and Kovlovsky was gonna be were gonna be the closer team to these two than Tarasova and Morozov have. Tarasova and Morozov have had a longer career than either of these two teams. The other two teams are very young. But the fact that they got a 236.43, um, is that's a massive score as well. That is better than Swayan Han's best international score this season, as well as um, then Boykova and Kovlovsky getting a 227.23, which is, I think, also still ahead of Swayan Han's best score because I think theirs is a 223. Um, it shows how well these Russian teams are skating. They're not flawless. Um, Tarasova and Morozov did not have a perfect program. Neither did Boykova and Kovalovsky. But if they were, that means that there could have been three teams that were effectively breaking world records. Whilst the Machina and Galimov scores would have stood as the world records, they would have broken the world records prior to this competition. Basically, kind of that is the kind of thing that happened here with Tarasov and Morozov had a very high free skate score that did break the previous world record um, with that 154.85. And then that was just broken minutes later by <laughs> Machina and Galiamov. Uh, so that didn't have any time to stick at all. Uh, we might start our ice dance, which we're going to try and get through this quickly because this is a long episode with um, not the podium. And that is the Spanish ice dance battle, which resulted in Olivia Smart and Adrian Diaz being the sole Olympic ice dance team for Spain. 
And well, boy, do I wish that Spain had two spots because it's real unfortunate that they don't. These two teams are neck and neck this year. Yeah, they've been close basically their entire careers in terms of the caliber and the level of skating that they deliver. It's unfortunate that they have one spot and it came around because of a series of circumstances that meant that kind of what happened at the World Championships was uh, stressful and heartbreaking for all of us watching, um, which ended up leading to this three-part showdown. Olivia Smart and Adrian Diaz won at all all of the three uh, events that the Spanish Federation said that they will be keeping an eye on uh, in terms of making this decision, which were Finlandia Trophy, uh, Spanish Nationals and European Championships. Um, So naturally that meant that they were the team selected to go. Hurtado and Koyabin did go to Pyeongchang in 2018. Um, So, you know, they have had the kind of Olympic uh, moment prior, um, but, you know, it's also real, really kind of disappointing for them, I imagine, given that they probably did want to go again and they do know that they are worthy and do have kind of that level of quality needed to be Spain's Olympic representative. So, yeah. That's just kind of how it panned out this time. Yeah, and I think as far as the podium is concerned, it probably went the way everyone expected it to, provided there wasn't judging shenanigans. <laughs> That's the way I'm going to put that. Um, because Victoria Sinitsna and Nikita Katsalabov did win. They scored a 217.96. They are the top rivals for Papadakis and Ciceron, who deliberately chose to skip this competition uh, for... I think the official word is COVID concerns or like basically they didn't want to catch COVID at Europeans and fair enough because 13 skaters did have to withdraw either before or during the competition because they or someone in their team had caught COVID. Um, Alexandra Stepanova and Ivan Buchan, also a Russian team, did come in second with a 213.20. I think that is the best chance. Like this team specifically is probably the best chance for a all European podium at the Olympics um, because the Americans and even the Canadians are hot on their tails scoring wise. So that top six in Beijing is going to be really tight. And the Italian team, Charlene Guignard and Marco Fabri, Got a 207.97 and they it's a right like rightfully theirs they probably should have actually been ahead of stepping over and Bruggen in the free dance um but the way that the judging worked and the way that who skated before who which can actually be a little bit influential sometimes um did result in stepping over and Bruggen finishing ahead of them in the free skate as well as the combined total that is the right move after like the way this quad has been and also just that free dance was beautiful (laughs) they are a contender to finish in the top five of the olympics i believe i think that it's like if you are in the top 10 at this olympics in the dance you're gonna get big scores because it's very tight and while there is a fairly sizable gap between some of the top teams and the middle ranked teams um if you're there and you're in that top 10, you're doing really well this year. Basically, like comparing the scores of this podium to the way that the Americans and the Canadians have been scored this season, these scores are a little bit higher than what those teams have been scoring. 
we won't see any of these American teams at Four Continents at all or any other competition before the Olympics. So we don't know how they will be scored by an international panel. Um, but, you know, these European skaters have at least kind of made a huge case about why they deserve to be on that Olympic pool. And just to touch on Four Continents, because it starts tonight as of release it'll start at like 9 15 p.m or something like that i believe with the pairs so if you're in australia you don't need to worry about that because <laughs> all our pairs team withdrew but there will also be ice dance that night which which will have holly harris and jason chan competing in it and then i believe that the women's short program also will finish the night um it'll be at a ridiculous hour so no one blames you if you don't stay up <laughs> um which we'll see kalani crane and victoria akantara go head to head um they will be fighting for the olympic spots because it turns out the reason why we're sending our olympic hopefuls to four continents rather than not risking them getting COVID there um is because it is actually our qualifier competition and brendan carey will be going up the next night in his short program against jordan dodds um all of his brothers also skate but they're not at this competition because <laughs> matthew hasn't competed in pairs in a while ryan hasn't competed in a while and Andrew withdrew, but was supposed to be there. Um, and he would have been in the ice dance event with Brendan Sitha Chantel. Um, but obviously, unfortunately, they withdrew. Uh, so there is the possibility that there is like a dark horse Australian Olympian in the uh, men's or women's figure skating. I think that these sports are Brendan and Kalani's, just the fact that they earned the spots. Um, but because we haven't had a national championships in two years, None of these skaters have really gone head to head, even at senior B competitions. I think there's been one this season that half of them have been at. Um, it does mean that it is kind of the perfect proving ground, even though I'm like, oh man, please, if this team gets, like if one person gets COVID, they could all get COVID. So I'm just crossing my fingers, hoping that everyone's fit, everyone's healthy. And I hope that it's a little bit close as well, because I think it's exciting if there's like, Brendan, Jordan, and James Min are all really close together in their scores. But at the same time, I also think that Brendan's a realistic chance of a small medal in either the short program or the free skate, just depending on how results go with the other skaters. Once again, consistency is going to matter. Um, it's also kind of very promising because Victoria and James are on the younger side. And uh, it's likely, although uncertain at this stage, but Brendan is probably looking to retire um, most likely probably before the next Olympics, we'll say is a safe bet, but probably after this Olympics, he's going to be starting to kind of think about what his path forward after retirement is going to look like. So having kind of those new skaters coming to this international, major international competition is going to be a good experience for them. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, watching Four Continents this weekend. Um, I will be keeping posted on it because I have learned so much about figure skating from these two next to me, <laughs> whether it's been listening to previous episodes or them sending me um, clips um, on YouTube and all that sort of stuff. So definitely looking forward to it this weekend and definitely looking forward to watching it um, in the coming weeks as well, um, because I've obviously learned a lot and I want to um, continue learning about that and be able to sort of contribute to this sort of conversation, <laughs> this sort of discourse in the coming weeks. All right. So that wraps up tonight's episode. It's been a little bit of a long one. <laughs> so do you guys want to share your social medias? 
Yeah, I'll go first this week rather than last. Um, I'm Dodsy161 on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at JServes on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am m.ch.ll.g on Instagram and m underscore ch underscore ll underscore g underscore underscore on Twitter. Uh, For both of those, just think of my full name, which will be on the screen, (laughs) and take out all the vowels and replace it with the punctuation mark as needed. But if you search up my name, I'm probably going to come up, especially (laughs) if you follow Edge of the Crowd. I'll be a mutual. So because Michelle's a little bit new to the hosting duties, I might take back over for this one. Um, you can find Ascending Olympus on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending Olipod. Uh, Ascending Olympus is obviously part of the Edge of the Crowd network. And you can find Edge of the Crowd at edgeofthecrowd.com.au. Edge of the Crowd is also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. And you can also obviously find us on YouTube if you're already on YouTube at Edge of the Crowd. But if you're listening to the podcast, be sure to check us out because sometimes there's some funny editing (laughs) involved. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.